0: You're listening to Radio Marinara 102.7 3R or via the 5 Gazillion other ways you can listen to 3R these days. Welcome, my name is Bron Burton.
1: I'm Cade Mills. And,
0: and I'm Fum. How Fum. Hey, Hi. <laughs> How are you going? Good. Good Excellent. Morning. Thank you very much to Tim for Vital Bits. Thank you very much to Andrew for Soulful Bits. Thank you very much to Edith for things to do today. Happy birthday, Tim Thorpe. If you missed that little announcement earlier. Oh, happy I birthday, I think there was an announcement. Maybe there wasn't.
1: Although I do have to say... Um Sulfur Bits wasn't on today. Oh, wasn't it? There was a technical error, I Aha. believe. So Tim's giving Andrew next week off. Oh, I'm glad yeah. you were listening at that point. Oh, I was on the way in. Yes. I was
0: out of my car at that <laughs> point in time. Um, yes. So congratulations uh, to Tim for his happy birthday. I didn't see
1: any birthday cake, no celebrations, no party well, roses I
0: have I have to admit it was a little Facebook reminder as I was on the way in. I went,
1: oops. <laughs> but we were celebrating with Tim next Saturday, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah. 30 years of Vital Bits. Incredible. Yeah. Noisy ritual. I'm planning on getting on down because I'm up at that time of the morning anyway.
0: Well, I'm not, but I'm planning on getting down there too. Yeah. It's going to be great. Make sure you get down there. It is, well, three minutes past nine now. Let's go through our program today. Uh, we're going to be joined on the phone shortly by uh, Neil Blake, our baykeeper, and he's doing beach microplastics audits around the bay this weekend. So he's going to be down in Mount Martha. We'll be catching up with him on the phone. He will be talking about audits over the last two years, what he's been looking at uh, and some of the patterns he's been observing, and also talk about some other studies underway to help track plastics to their source. Pretty cool stuff.
1: I'm sure you know nothing about it, do you? Bob? Nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> nothing.
0: Um, and we're going to, Neil's also down in Mount Martha with Amy Westnedge. She's from the Mount Martha Beach Patrol and Boomerang Alliance. So we're going to have, while well, we've got Neil on the phone, we'll kind of hand the phone over to Amy and she's going to talk about her group and um, also why they believe it's time for container deposit scheme in Victoria. So it'll be good to hear from them. We are also going to be joined by uh, Dr. Paul Hamer, Okay. We
1: will be, yes. Um, one of my favourite people on the planet. I love Paul. Um, he's going to be talking to us about... Uh basically the snapper fishery. So there's been a recent announcement from the 1st of November that a large part of the snapper fishery in South Australia has been shut for three years which is a really bold move for government and it's a management decision based on the science and Paul being a scientist I thought he could walk us through basically what we know about snapper, snapper science and particularly how important and amazing Port Phillip Bay is when it comes to snapper and Paul's been studying these things for, God, over 15 years, so he's got a lot of knowledge. We'll have to probably cut him off, because he'll keep on going. (laughs) (laughs) He could do a whole show.
0: Um, That's going to be fascinating to talk about, and also the potential reaction from those who fish for snapper, both commercially and recreationally as well, because I can't imagine it would have been an easy decision, and as you said, it's a bold one.
1: It is, yeah. And reaction-wise, the government have announced a couple of million-dollar package to try and help um, people transition sort of from that but it's never going to work for everyone but um, I think Paul would prefer to stick to the science than the um, management questions but we'll see it's how a we really go I mean
2: making these management decisions about and the environment based on science you're That's st- a great thing. It, it should is. happen more often. You've
1: just stolen a chunk of one of my questions. <laughs> I'm planning on asking him.
2: <laughs> We can still ask
0: it because Paul's not here. We'll get his opinion. We will, yeah. Excellent. And Fum, you're bringing us your monthly segment of Plastic Literacy. We've Indeed. got you at the end of the program this time. Yep. We'll make sure we keep you lots of time. And um, we're talking about a new invention or possibly not.
2: Yeah, let's talk about it at the end of the okay, program. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. It's uh, it's the Ocean Cleanups uh, Interceptor. Really, really great invention, um, but it already exists. Mm. So let's go into that a little bit deeper.
0: Excellent. All right, let's have a little look at what the weather's going to be doing or possibly doing.
1: Let's have a look. Today <laughs> is fantastic. I looked out the window. It's Light winds, top of 23. If you're anywhere near the water, get down there and get in there. Can I throw a fl- plug in at the same time? Absolutely. I know AJ and Nicole are down at Rye today. They're doing a Wild Families event, which is a Victorian National Parks Association uh, fish count event. Basically 10 bucks, 25 bucks for the family. If you're close enough and you can get there by 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock, make your way down or we'll give AJ a call and make sure there's space and jump in the water and do a fish count today at Rye Pier. Perfect day for it. Conditions are great. You can't do that for the rest of the week. Tomorrow is going to be 29, and um, then we go back to 16 on Tuesday, <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday, and it's sort of stable for the rest of the week. 22 on Wednesday, Thursday 22, Friday 21, and Saturday 18, with a little bit of rain in there. Uh, Tuesday 70% rain, which is my day off, of course, where I plan to go to the beach. What's the wind the doing
2: on Thursday, Cade? Because I want to do another fish count.
1: Uh, this is the age, so it doesn't tell me oh. that far ahead, Farm, and I haven't <laughs> done my homework for you, so you've caught me out. I'll
2: have to do my own homework. That's
1: it. If If you're down the coast and you want to get in the water, it's sort of light southerly, so it's going to be a bit onshore, probably a few protected spots, but there's a little bit of swell around, so get out there and make the most of it. And if you're keen to hit the water for a dive, the tide times at the heads are, the high is at 9.40, so in about half an hour, with a low at uh, 3.30 this afternoon. Awesome. Great day to get out there. Brilliant. Listen to us on your way there.
0: (laughs) Yes. Hey, I've got a quick one for you. I've got a couple of plugs. I might save them till a little bit later on in the show. Um, But we've had some um, people reaching out through our Facebook page. Thank you for those of you who've done that this week. One question, um, oh, I didn't write their name. Oh, yes, I did, Lenka. Uh, thank you, Lenka, for this question. I'm putting this to both of you. So Lenka was walking with her kids down at Gunnamatta Beach and it was covered in blue bottles. And she's wondering who to report it to or if this is normal for this time of the year. Thanks for the question, Lenka. Lenka's triple R subscribers who put that one in as well. But, yeah, she's sent in a couple of photos and there really are there's blue bottles everywhere.
2: Yeah, um, it's quite normal for this time of year. Uh, we also get the by the wind sailors that are related to blue bottles, um, and that can wash up in by the thousands, really. Um, so it is quite normal. Uh, as for reporting, well, you can always send the Baykeeper an email, uh, Neil Blake at Baykeeper at ecocenter.com. com, um, if you want to report anything unusual that you might not see any other day of your uh, over the year. Um, And yeah, we were talking about this before and uh, keep an eye out as well for the amazing blue bottle eating nudibranch called Glaucus.
1: Mm. It's one of, I think, everyone's favorite once they discover it. It's... um it's like it's got racing car stripes on it. And um, what did we discuss? Jazz hands. Yeah, it looks like <laughs> a nudie brank. It's
0: sort of like a flattened nudie brank with jazz hands. Yeah. And it's one of those creatures that people look at and go, what the hell is that? It's that what the hell is that nudie brank? So they're about the same size as nudie branks, aren't they?
2: Yeah, so they're, they're they're small, but they're very I mean you notice them straight away when you see them on the beach. I found a few uh, a few years ago, and they look like they're wearing stripy pajamas in in blue and white. They've got these big jazz hands, and they actually live a very interesting lifestyle they live upside down in the water and they kind of skate upside down on the surface of the water so on the water the surface water tension but then you know upside down so it's 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 a really weird creature and they live exclusively by feeding on blue bottles so they need to be near the surface at all times because the blue bottles obviously have this kind of like a a little balloonish pouch that sticks up above the water that um, allows the wind to take them places so that's where the needs to be
0: does the glaucus have a sting so if you were to pick one up would you likely get stung
1: it does it has that okay. remarkable ability of taking the nematocysts, which is the firing cells from the blue bottles ingesting them not setting them off i know it's kind of like swallowing a gun and not setting the trigger off wow and then it's able to basically move them through the body to externally so it acts as defense for itself so it basically steals its weapons it disarms them and then uses them themselves.
0: So if you come across the Glaucus on the beach don't pick it up, don't encourage the kids to pick it up, but maybe if you've got a spade nearby you could kind of gently collect it and pop it back in the water. Take
2: some photos. Take a photo. Yeah. yeah. Send, Send it to us, to us yeah. please. We do
0: love our Glaucus. Okay, thanks for that. That was great. Um, Ten past nine this is Radio Marinara, and uh, in just a moment we're going to be speaking with Neil Blake and Amy Westnedge down in Mount Martha about uh, Neil's uh, beach surveys and, uh, and the great work that Amy does with her her group 914 you are listening to radio marinara here on three triple r without further ado we are going to now cross to our very own bail bale, bale. <laughs> bay keeper neil blake who is down in mount martha good morning neil
3: g'day how you going ron it's a fantastic uh, day down here
0: yeah we were just having a look at the weather forecast before and predicted it was going to be pretty lovely exactly where you are what are you doing down in yeah. mount martha today
3: well, there's a, Mount Martha Beach Patrol I've got their clean-up on, but um, I'm also doing microplastics audits at various beaches around the bay, so we have a good chance to catch up with them and uh, see what's going on. They've got some really interesting stuff happening, which I'll, I'll allow uh, Amy to tell you about uh, a bit later on.
0: Yeah, awesome. Can you talk to us um, about the microplastic audits that you do? Like, can you tell us what's involved, where you go, what what you do when you get down there and do these these audits?
3: Yeah, um, the the aim of the audit really is to um, get an idea of uh, just how many microplastics are on different beaches around the bay, so that if you can have a regular, rigorous sort of uh, method of of um, counting them, uh, then. We'll be able to tell over time whether or not the situation's improving. You know, and I'm talking about over a number of years. We started doing these surveys in mid 2017, and we've been doing them every three months at uh, six different beaches around the bay. Um, and uh, it's really interesting now to look at the results. We found that Keast um, Park, which is in uh, at Caram, is really. Uh, diabolical there the, the amounts of microplastics there so uh although it, that, that's be- possibly because it's the easternmost beach in the bay and therefore um, plastics could be pushed in from winds in various directions from the southwest to the northwest uh but um the interesting thing is that um the nurdles, uh which are coming up and we're recording them of course uh they further you get away from the sea, the fewer noodles there are. So uh, uh, St Kilda West Beach had the highest number of 63% of all microplastics collected there have uh, been noodles. Uh, at Keese Park it was 59% uh, and Frankston 37% and at Mount Martha 18.1%. So it's interesting to try and map you know, where the stuff's coming from and where the, where the hot spots are. The other interesting thing is that the uh, Uh, smaller microplastics, less than five millimetres bits of hard plastic, the further you get away from the city, uh, from the centre of Melbourne, that is, uh, the the greater the proportion of those smaller microplastics. So Mount Martha is actually on top there with 45%. Yeah, so it's an interesting study.
1: Okay. Okay. Oh, well, you're saying you're doing every three months. I'm just wondering whether there's any seasonal... Differences at different times a year. Are you noting a broader pattern across that?
3: Yeah, well, it's uh, it's not that possible at this stage to really detect that. Uh, um, you know, and things can change even from a matter of just a, a week apart. For example, we did uh, a survey at St Kilda West Beach in November in 2018 on the 11th and found very few microplastics, and then come back and did it again the next week, and that was you know hundreds. Uh, so, uh, it's something to really get good value out of this study. It doesn't need to occur over a long period of time.
0: Neil, had there, but, been, uh, had there been a big rain event between those two surveys?
3: Yes, there had. That's exactly right. And uh, so, there, there are those kind of factors. And also, um, uh, it was interesting about a year ago that the Alchemistry Research Group have, have been doing the study down at Mount Martha. And they found very, very few microplastics on, on the, the audit on this particular day. And at the bottom of the sheet, they said that, uh, note that Mount Master Beach Patrol had their first group meeting <laughs> the day before, and there were <laughs> 70 people attending. So uh, that those sort of things can have a, a, an effect as well.
0: Did you say 70 people attending?
3: 70 people were there on that particular day. Wow. So it was a, uh, there's a really fantastic energy down here on the peninsula and Mount Martha in particular. So uh, it, it's really great to see.
0: That's really wonderful. I just want to ask you one question about um, a comment that you mentioned about Carom and uh, how close is the Carom site to Paterson River? Is it likely that Patterson River might have had an impact there?
3: Uh, it's quite likely. In fact, um, we... Uh, We've um, located our, our sites um, so that they're uh, south of uh, outlets such as creeks and rivers. So that's one of the other reasons why we are at Mount Master because of the Balkan Creek here. So, and Frankston, the site in Frankston is just uh, south of the Cannanook Creek, uh, and Carrum is south of the Patterson River. So, the, the, the hope was that we might be able to pick up some sort of. Uh, sources for locating them in those kind of places.
0: Yeah, and I mentioned at the start of the program um, from our, our conversation during the week that you're going to talk about studies underway to help track plastics to their source. Can you tell us a bit about that?
3: Yes, well, um, the, the, obviously we've got the um, trawls that we're doing in the Yarra uh, and the Maribyrnong with the, for microplastics that you're well aware of, uh, but also... Uh, uh, we have a, a program of um, audits going on streets in all catchments around the bay, working with Scouts Victoria to do that too, so to tr- and uh, auditing different street usages. So we're trying to drill down to see whether particular uh, street activities, whether for residential or retail or industrial, all of those things, whether they have an in- influence on what sort of river is being generated in local areas.
1: I just had a quick one. So you were talking about the variability in plastics and it made me think that um, it's a catch cry used by a lot of ecological scientists when trying to um, describe results that are really confusing is natural variability. Do plastics behave kind of like an ecosystem in a sense? Like, do nurdles behave differently to small microplastics? Do larger ones behave differently? And do they, like, are there interactions between the two? I'm just sort of more thinking of it as like an ecological sense as opposed to just this object that's running down. I'm into sure them. I
3: do. Uh, and that's one of the our, our beach audit method is designed so that we do three one-square-metre quadrats in a uh, transect across the beach from the top of the beach to the last high tide line uh one of those transects runs across the wider section of the beach and one across the narrower section and one in between so we're trying to capture all um all conditions on the beach a representative sample at least so uh, one of the things that's interesting is uh, we haven't seen much polystyrene on the beach down here around the bay for uh, quite a while and uh, i suspect that that because we've had a relatively windy sort of day, so a lot of that just gets blown away. So, yeah, different plastics have different mobilities.
0: Fascinating. Neil, um, we've got a, a few minutes left, and I know we're keen to um, to talk to Amy uh, yeah, Westnedge. I'd,
3: I'd love to hand you over to Amy because she's got some really exciting things to tell you, so I'll just pass it on. All
0: right. Thanks, Neil. We'll catch you soon. Hello. Hi, Amy. Welcome to R. Welcome to Marinara. How are you? Um, Wow, thank you so
4: much for having us on the show
0: today. Oh, look, it's wonderful. We've been trying to catch up with you guys for quite a while, so it's really uh, really great. Let's start with uh, Mount Martha Beach Patrol um, and Boomerang Alliance. You're connected to both those groups. Neil mentioned um, you're very strong. You've got a lot of community support down there.
4: Yeah, we have a fantastic group. We've got a lot of Lifesaving Club members and a lot of local families who come down. We've been set up since February, so we're a fairly new group, but we're having a massive impact already. We've already collected over 400 kilos of rubbish just off Mount Martha Beach this year, so it's amazing what we're all coming together and being able to do.
0: Nearly half a tonne just off Mount Martha alone. That's incredible.
4: That's
0: yeah. Do you Are there um, other groups sort of uh, on either side of your group? I'm, I'm fascinated whether there's sort of a network starting to establish or is it sort yeah, of... No, f-
4: absolutely. Yep. We have um, a really strong um, group of beach patrollers down here on the Mornington Peninsula and surrounding us in Mornington we've got a group and also in Safety Beach. So just in our strip here we're very well covered and then there's um, further down the... Coast, there's other groups as well which is fantastic
0: yeah that's really great um Well, yeah. t- who's uh, tell us a bit about boomerang alliance
4: so boomerang alliance are a national not-for-profit um, organization campaigning for environmental change through policy change and uh, i've just started with them and specifically here in victoria we're working on the container deposit scheme and down here on Mount Martha Beach today, we actually got over a 1,000 containers that we found at a recent cleanup. And we're um, writing out a message to um, take drone photos to showcase the problem that we have here.
2: Sorry, Amy, Fum here. Did you just oh. say that you found a 1,000 containers on one cleanup? Yes, yeah, so we recently did a cleanup
4: of the Esplanade in Mount Martha. Um, while the bay bike ride was on, we were able to access the area and there was about 10 volunteers. We spent two and a half hours cleaning the area and we only actually made it 300 metres before we ran out of bags. We collected over 250 kilos of rubbish on that one clean
2: and the majority of those
4: items were bottles.
2: So, and did they all come um, from the bike ride or, or was, were they there before? No. They were definitely there before.
4: Um, there's nowhere to actually stop and sort of um, sit, sit in your car where we were collecting bottles. So I would suggest it being thrown out of the windows while people are driving past. And some of them were up to 50 years old with um, glass milk bottles and juice containers with imperial pint on it. Wow, that's
2: incredible. It sounds like you're doing some environmental archaeology there.
4: (laughs) Absolutely. It was an incredible find. And we just hope that we can get back there and do more of the Esplanade and see what else is in there.
0: That's just amazing, Amy. And look, hats off to you and to your group and for the great work that you do. And um, we have to move on in just a sec. I really want to catch up with you again and just to really keep in touch with what you're doing and just promote the work that your group and other groups around you are doing so much because you guys are the unsung heroes in terms of cleanups and the work that you do I mean you may be known in your local community but just really getting the message out there about this you know just rolling up your sleeves and getting on with it it's just wonderful um thank you (laughs) if people are down your way today and 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 want to join in how long will you be down there for
4: um, we'll be down, we're at Mount Martha Lifesaving Club and we'll probably be here till about 11 o'clock sorting the rubbish that we've found and taking the drone photo. But people can always uh, follow us on Facebook. Our Facebook group is Beach Patrol 3934 um, or they can check out our website, which is um, au.
0: Great. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page so people can find that and, um, and uh, if you want to catch that sooner than we're able to do that, then... You can listen back via On Demand and write those details down for yourself. Amy, thanks so Excellent. much and um, very, keen, very keen to get you in studio next year and talk more about what your group does, but maybe um, some of your representatives from Safety Beach and Mornington and I can see you guys all just kind of linking arm in arm and making your way around the bay. It's really it's wonderful what you do. And Western Port too. I always want to give a shout out to Western Port because there's great work going on there as well.
4: Absolutely. So much good work happening on the peninsula and, you know, all around Melbourne really. It's fantastic.
0: That's awesome.
4: Hey, thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch you again soon. Thank
0: you very much. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, likewise, Amy. Okay, bye for now. Bye Bye. to Neil too. Bye. There we go. Amy Westnedge and Neil Blake down on Mount Martha. You can get down there and join them. It's amazing what they're doing.
1: Yeah, it's a pity that they have to do it, but it is amazing what they do. Yeah, Yeah,
0: it's wonderful. And just sending that message about just continually moving towards positive change. Good stuff. All right. Uh, Some news, some local news, and a couple of things to plug. One is um, Victorian National Parks Association having a rally. We mentioned this on the show last week. It's taking place this coming Thursday, 28th of November. It's called Nature for Life, and what they're aiming to do is deliver a positive message of what can and should be done in this term of government to protect nature. So some of the things that the VMPA are urging for, new and better funded national parks, better protection for our forests, rivers, beaches, oceans and wildlife, stronger laws to protect threatened species and habitats that address the size of the crisis that we're facing and more. There's so much to be done. So this coming Thursday, 28th of November, from 12 till 2, if you're working the CBD, you can do this on your lunch break at Parliament Steps, Spring Street, Melbourne, followed by a picnic. Oh, good stuff, yeah. VMPA, True <laughs> VMPA style. Your BYO picnic in Treasury Gardens. So good stuff for them. The other one I wanted to mention was um, this was another, a reach out from Kath who is a triple R listener. And she has just sent us a message saying she's just visited an incredible community sea exhibition and wanted, um, well, she actually suggested we interview um, the organisers, but uh, it actually finishes during the week. But we're going to give it a huge plug. So Fern Smith is the coordinator of this. She's brought it all together. It's on at Merlinston Progress Hall until Monday. So you can get down there today or tomorrow. It's called The Sea is Sinking. So um, an interactive immersion. Immersive installation and community collaboration at merlinston progress hall one novian street Coburg north so thanks for letting us know if you guys come across this one
1: i haven't looks until now
0: yeah so it looks amazing thanks for letting us know that uh all right any other news or should we play a track you got one?
1: One quick plug. So we're talking about the wild families, uh, snorkel opportunity today. You can get in touch with AJ, and I'm just going to read his phone number out on air. He won't mind. <laughs> 0409 411 299. If you want to get in the water today, he's down there with all the gear and that's there. And then on the Saturday, the 7th of December, there'll be one down at Portsea Pier. So Bay Play will be running that for um, the fish count. It's for beginners. So if you've always wanted to take the plunge or it's been a while since you've been out in the water, it's just going to cost you 10 bucks. Um all the gears provided, leadership and people sort of guiding you around and it's at Portsea Pier, so a good chance to see Weedy Sea Dragons. Oh, and Learn yeah. to
2: snorkel for 10 bucks That's a bargain.
1: It is a bargain. We're, it's heavily subsidised, let's say, but the <laughs> idea is just to get people out there That's and fantastic. give them an opportunity. So at, at 10 o'clock and at 12 o'clock and I'll be down there for both of those. Um, hopefully I'll be getting wet as well.
0: Excellent. Nice. And what about kids? Can kids take part in
1: this? Kids definitely can take part in both of them. The yep. you know, whole idea is that it's a family activity um, to try and encourage, I guess, Give family something to do together. It's quite often people struggle to do stuff outside as a family. Um, So if you can get them in the water and get them snorkelling, it's a great way to spend your summer.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Good good stuff to um, do at this time of the year. And you don't need to get wet either. There's always jobs for people up on... There the dry always land?
1: is, yeah, holding the towels, rubbing your hair when you get out and helping with the food preparation.
0: <laughs> not sitting on the beach on the towel, minding the dog with a chico roll.
1: Actually, that is one of the jobs I'll be doing for someone is minding the dog.
0: <laughs> Maybe not with a chico roll. Yes. <laughs> All right, it's um, 9.31, this is Radio Marinara. In just a moment, we're going to be speaking with Dr Paul Hamer. We will from the Victorian Fisheries Authority. I've incorrectly said Fisheries Victoria. They had a name change a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, well,
1: it's a government department. They love new stationery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> About snapper fisheries here and in South Australia.
1: And our next guest is Dr. Paul Hamer. He's a senior scientist at the Victorian Fisheries Authority. He's a master of multi-ta- multitasking underwater. He's a walking encyclopedia of knowledge on Victoria's marine environment. He knows more about Snapper than Donald Trump knows about everything. And today is his birthday. So happy birthday, Paul, and welcome back to Marinara. Yeah, very good, Kate. Great to be here. Thanks, mate. Hello Look. everybody.
0: Hey, Paul. Happy birthday from us as well.
1: Ah, uh, thank you so much. Yep. You feeling good this morning? Oh, not too bad. Yep.
5: I'm
1: feeling like the future is all ahead of me, so that's great. Nice work. Now, look, I've invited you onto onto the show to talk about um, snapper and the science behind a recent closure of the snapper fishery in South Australia. But before we get onto that, can you just give us a recap on, I guess, the basic biology, ecology and the life cycle of snapper? That's actually quite a lot. And the importance of Port Phillip Bay to the snapper fishery. So give us some Victorian context about snapper and what we know about them.
5: Yeah, well, they've... They're quite an um, adaptable species, snapper, if you think about their distribution all around of Australia from Southern Great Barrier Reef to Shark Bay in Western Australia. But in Victoria, uh, Port Phillip Bay is, I guess, a key area because it acts as the main sporting ground and nursery area for for the snapper stock that extends from Wilson's Promontory all the way through to Kangaroo Island. So Port Phillip Bay really underpins the dynamics of that stock Um the fish migrate in this time of the year and they're all out there sporting now and um, the little juveniles that grow up go on to disperse out and replenish that whole fishery.
1: So is that a handy thing as a fishery scientist to have a stock all turn up in one spot so that you can actually learn a bit about them because they're not so widely spread?
5: Yeah well we've That's a great advantage for us in terms of our monitoring. It's not that all the fish in the stock end up in the bay every year, but probably a large proportion, and it enables us to focus our monitoring on the bay, particularly for the juveniles, um, because we know that that's the main source of replenishment, so we have a long-term program monitoring them. But also the the key indicators for the the health of the adult stock, the catch rates in the fisheries, the recreational fishery catch rates and commercial um, they're a really good indicator in Portfila Bay of the state of the actual spawning biomass. So, yeah, it is, a, it is a really strong advantage for us uh, in terms of being able to keep track of what's going on with that stock and fishery.
1: And we just before we get to the what's happening in South Australia, so how is the snapper stock in Victoria and what's sort of the future looking like at the moment?
3: Uh, it's
5: the Western stock, which is the one I just um, described, is going quite well. Um, we've had some really good success over the last 15 or so years, which has kept that stock really healthy. Um, It's important to know that around the southeast of Australia, we've got a number of stocks and the western stock, which is the main one that um, is the focus of fishing in Victoria. We also have an eastern stock east of the prom, but it's it's a separate stock to the stocks in the Gulf in South Australia, where all the trouble is.
1: Yeah, and I guess we'll, we'll move on to that because when I spoke to you recently, you mentioned that you'd been at a, and I'm calling it a snapper heads catch up recently, which is basically a meeting of all the like snapper brains from around Australia, and I'm sure the closure of the like a large portion of the snapper fishery in uh, South Australia was discussed, and they, the government's closing it for three years, um, as Fom mentioned at the start of the show, and like in an encouraging sign for science, like science was actually used to close the fishery down, and so what. What were you discussing at this meeting and what is the science behind shutting down the fishery for three years?
5: Yeah, you're right, Kay. We had a great meeting a couple of weeks ago. It was largely triggered by this issue in South Australia, but it brought together all the snapper researchers and fisheries managers from all around Australia. So it was really good to get together and see what everyone was doing. But in terms of the South Australian situation, um, their snapper stocks in Spencer Gulf... Which is the, the Gulf to the west, um, were depleting in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, that shifted a lot of fishing effort into the Gulf St. Vincent, which is the Gulf closest to Adelaide. And now that stock's become depleted. And the key, um, I think, thing was that the science has told us that there's been very poor spawning success or replenishment of those two stocks for more than a decade now. And as such, that the, the gradual decline due to fishing and natural mortality has led to the situation that they have now. And basically when you're not getting any replenishment, um, there's not a lot you can do except try and save some fish in the bank for the next time the environment, environmental conditions are right for that spawning to succeed. And, and so hence they've decided there's quite extraordinary closure.
0: Paul, is there any thought to why? Uh, what, what has been sort of the main reason behind the, the lack of the snapper to replenish the stocks?
5: Yeah, it's it's a big uncertainty in South Australia. They, they don't quite have the understanding that we do in Port Phillip Bay in relation to what influences sporting success. But it, it comes down to the survival of the, the earliest life stages of the larvae. In, you know, usually in their first two weeks of life, they're very vulnerable to environmental conditions particularly the amount of food up in the water column a little tiny zooplankton Uh, we have a good understanding of what drives those production of those zooplankton in Port Phillip Bay but in the Gulf, it's not so clear so yeah it's a little bit of an uncertainty for them Um, and there's a lot of change happening over there I guess a lot of vulnerabilities in those gulfs to things like climate change with warming water temperatures which snapper are quite sensitive to
0: do we know if there's an equal increase in maybe some of the predators that might be eating the juvenile stages?
5: No, I mean that's that's a, I guess that sort of ecosystem based type approach to understanding these fisheries um, we've, we're still sort of fairly focused on the single species type approach and uh, understanding a little bit more about those trophic linkages and what might be preying on those small fish um, is something that we could definitely improve on but we think it's really a bottom-up thing, whereby it's, the, it's the, the nutrients and the phytoplankton, zooplankton production, which is really important, more so than perhaps predation.
2: And uh, how has the local fisheries industry uh, responded to this closure? Are, are people worried? What, what's been the reaction? Do they do they understand what's going on?
5: oh uh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, there's like everything. There's a, there's mixed reactions. Um, and that's you know half support half not i think there's probably more support for the closure than not support um we had stakeholders talking at the workshop a couple of weeks ago um and they were you know lamenting the situation and sort of understanding you know that it had got pretty bad and there was a need to do something quite strong obviously it will have a big impact on industries over there um so we just hope that it does lead to a, a positive outcome. I mean, the last closure similar to this was in the eastern Gulf of Shark Bay in, in 1998 where they closed that fishery for five years and then they brought in quite strict regulations when they reopened it and that fishery has recovered. So that's a positive sign that when you do step in and do some hard management, these fisheries have the you know potential to come back rather quickly.
1: Yeah, which leads me to asking, do you know what they're going to be doing during the three years? Because as you said, there's a lot of sort of knowledge gaps there. Um, do you know what they're planning on doing for three years while the is closed?
5: Yeah, well, one of the key things they're going to be doing is um, they used to do what we do in Portfield Bay, which is go out at the end of the sporting season and do fishery independent surveys of the numbers of babies, which gives you a, a leading indicator of um, what to expect in the fishery Years ahead, so if if you're finding out you're getting poor recruitment, you can get in early and start managing for that. The situation they had with their assessments is they were using uh, model-based assessments, um, and they don't pick up the lack of spawning success until those fish are already in the fishery. So they don't. There's quite a lag between knowing how bad it is and being able to step in and do something. So they're going to do some some pretty neat research on looking at ways they can develop up a survey approach to to do those surveys of, of juveniles, which is, I think is a really important
1: thing for them. Yeah, well, as I said before, it's encouraging for science to see that it's being listened to and sort of acted upon. Um, we've got to wrap up. So, look, enjoy the rest of your birthday and thank you for taking time out of it to join us. And best of luck when you move to NumeA in January and become our NuMEA correspondent for Radio Maranara, <laughs> taking up your new job as the principal fishery scientist for the Pacific community.
0: Wow, Paul, that's
1: huge news.
5: Yeah, it's, it's daunting in a way, but um, it's a great opportunity and to see another part of the world and a fishery that is truly global scale, um, international players, it will be quite fascinating.
0: Can you tell us just really super briefly what that job will entail?
5: Um, We're we'll overseeing the, a team of scientists and others that do the stock assessments for the tuna fisheries in the Western and Central Pacific, which are largest tuna fishery in the world, I think. 2.7 million tonne fishery um, across four species. So compared to the sort of hundreds of tonne fisheries we have here, it's, it's, a, it's another order of several orders of magnitude. So it's, yeah, it's massive. All the tin tuna you buy in the supermarket probably comes from the Western Central Pacific.
1: That's amazing. Look, we're going to yeah. love catching up with you in the future to see how you're going in your new job and settling in. And, look, again, thanks for your time this morning and we'll hopefully talk to you when you've settled in and learn some more about the tuna. No worries. Enjoy the rest of your, your day. Awesome. <laughs> thanks, Paul.
0: Thanks, Paul. Happy birthday again. Thank you. Okay, see you. Bye for now. Wow, off yeah. to New are. I think we need to push um, Triple R management for an outside broadcast. <laughs> what do you reckon?
1: Oh, Kent's up for it for sure. <laughs> and as we said before, we can go looking for the sea snakes. Join the grannies looking for sea snakes as part of their citizen science project over there. It's a win-win for everyone. Oh, that's it, yeah. Awesome.
0: Ten minutes to ten. This is Radio Maranawa. Our last ten minutes of this week's program. We're going to now turn our attention to ocean cleanup. up Fun, over to you.
2: Oh, I have such a love-hate relationship with these guys. Yeah. Like, you know, I love their, their passion and enthusiasm and the way they do things and the way they mobilize people. And then, yeah, the execution always has some question marks. So the Ocean Cleanup is a not-for-profit organization that started in the Netherlands. They've now grown to uh, about 80 staff. And they're the guys who wanted to clean up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, you know, just uh, to remind everybody who they are. And uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about this on the show and um, sort of like the, the question marks that I'm, I'm putting with the efficiency of why, of what they're doing and how they're doing it. Because even after all of those years, about six years of having the, um, the, their uh, uh, booms and, and systems in the Pacific garbage patch, they still haven't actually cleaned up anything.
0: And these are really healthy, good question marks to put in place. Yeah. You
2: know, are you you putting your money, you know, where you get the biggest bang for your buck? That's basically what we talked about. And we talked about then that um, most of the trash, if you really want to be efficient, there's only 0.6% of the ocean plastics is in the gyres, right? But about um, 80% um, of the plastics that come from the land come into the uh, ocean's by the way, of of the thousand rivers, kind of approximately thousand rivers all over the planet. So if you really want to, you know, get onto that plastic pollution stuff, you need to prevent it from getting into the ocean in the first place. So it would make more sense to then um, put your efforts of scooping up plastic trash near the rivers or in the river mouths or anywhere where it you know, doesn't get into the ocean in the first place because once it gets there, it disperses and it's really, really hard to get it all back. I mean, even in the Mariana Trench, they found a plastic bag at 12 kilometers depth, right? How yeah. are you going to scoop that up? So... Um, and by the when we were talking about it on the the last time, um, Ocean Cleanup actually had made an announcement that you know they had like a little countdown teller of two weeks on their website saying, "Oh, we've got an amazing thing that's coming up. Uh, it's a surprise. You know, stick with us." And um, what they unveiled was a new device. Um, which actually operates in rivers it's called the interceptor and it is basically it's kind of a barge and it has a um, conveyor belt that is powered by solar panels and with a few booms in the river it kind of catches it kind of diverts the waste that's floating on the surface into uh into the machine and then the conveyor belt transports it up and it transports it straight into one of the six bins or big skip bins uh, on the barge. And then once they, those are full, there's a, a text message that's being sent to the local waste authorities, and they come and empty the um, empty the bins. And so my heart did a little jump, saying like, yes, finally they're doing it. They have listened. You know, they they know now that this is a good way to do it. It's it's way more effective. And then my heart sank at the same time because this invention that they're passing off as their invention has already been invented. Uh, It's called Mr. Trash Wheel. And it is the cutest trash interceptor that you'll ever see it has big googly eyes it is um located in baltimore in the river there and uh, there's a a few of them now we've got professor trash wheel that's mr trash wheel's sister and uh, we also have (laughs) captain trash wheel who is the non-gendered trash wheel that is in a different river as well and a fourth is being made um so i was very surprised to see ocean cleanup you know launch what they call their invention as something that was literally copied from another person's (laughs) invention that's already been working um for a number of years now and mr trash wheel has collected over um 1.5 i wrote it down 1.5 tons of trash um since they put the big one in in 2014 so it's working which is fantastic um
0: is there um so you mentioned baltimore are there other parts of the u.s that have a version of mr trash wheel as well
2: No, I think I looked on the map on the website. I think there's one in LA or San Francisco or something, but I I couldn't really track what exactly that one was. But I know they're building a new one, so maybe that's where the next one is going.
0: We have – and if you've walked along the Yarra, you might have seen not sort of the the tech version of this, but there are booms that are set up to collect – Um, rubbish as it comes down the Yarra but they all have to be manually emptied and collected. Yeah, so that's
2: the band along litter trap and they're floating litter traps but they're not powered. Um, The awesome thing about the interceptor and Mr Trash Wheel is obviously that uh, the trash wheel is a trash wheel. (laughs) It's it's literally a water wheel that's being powered by the the currents of the river itself and if there is no current then the solar panels take over and the interceptor by Ocean Cleanup um, is just powered by solar panels basically. Um, so I contacted Ocean Cleanup and, uh, and I asked them, I said, oh, this is so great. You've launched this thing. Um, have you been working with the inventor of the Baltimore trash wheel? And I, I, I kind of got a noncommittal response back, you know, saying, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the big difference is that ours is, you know, we can put it in every single river um, all over the planet um, and we're upscaling it. So they, yeah, it's
0: so they are aware of it. Yeah,
2: absolutely yep. aware of it. Um, but the good news is obviously it's great news for the oceans. You know, no matter how, how it got to this point of, you know, who's stealing whose idea, um, they are going to upscale it quite severely. They still have $30 million in the bank, I believe. So uh, they're going to put these interceptors in, in as many big rivers as they can. Currently, they're in Malaysia and uh, Indonesia, I think. Yeah, Indonesia and in Malaysia, that's where the the two are doing their jobs now.
0: So there are interceptors outside. I I thought this was all still going on in the... in the area where all of this originated no
2: no no, they have been launched right yeah yeah and because because obviously you know in in those parts of asia they're still developing their waste management practices so the rivers there are quite polluted with plastic pollution Um, so they've put an interceptor in somewhere in malaysia and somewhere in indonesia at the moment and they are building new ones to put them in different rivers and
0: it's obviously super important that we don't lose the message of reducing our use of plastics in the first place and we We've seen this happen before, like years and years ago, where when we were, you know, facing a really significant drought and all this money got put into a desalination plant. And right up to that point I, I saw change. I saw people starting to go, okay, well, hang on a minute. We need to um, make sure that we have shorter showers and use rain-efficient taps, uh, I mean, water-efficient taps, and, um, and you know, plant um, less thirsty plants in our garden and all that kind of thing. And then the desalination plant came in and we went, oh, okay, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. So it's so the same
2: sort of principle that it applies. Is, it is. I mean, this is a Band-Aid solution. Yep. And it will always be a Band-Aid solution, Right. Um, so even though it's, it's a really great feel-good story, the only way we are going to, you know, not get any plastic out in our oceans is by using less of it. Mm. And we just, we just have to change our behavior in that sense. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to have interceptors everywhere. And what's it going to do? Just generate a lot of land plastic, basically.
1: Can I just offer another view in that buoyant Slat is an amazing marketer? in that attacking the Pacific gyre when he probably knew it wasn't a big part but how are you going to get funding? You're actually going to try and attack this big problem that has global significance got that up now is working towards this thing i'm quite curious to see and look to be honest i don't care who whose idea he steals what (laughs) the next step is going to be to try and tackle that so i think it's quite exciting and it's worth keeping well yeah it's super exciting
2: Uh, just the scalability of it is is going to make a difference i think yeah
0: and having that shock factor as you mentioned cade it's shocking like the the concept of the pacific Eye is shocking and so people immediately tune into that and and they're hooked. And okay. let's find a solution to this. And as you pointed out, um, it's only such a small percentage of plastics in the oceans, because the oceans clearly are massive. Yeah. The guy is huge, but it is on a global scale relatively small.
2: Yeah. So it's quite exciting that um that you know, they have listened to to the experts and the scientists who've been saying this for many years and adapted to that. So it's it's very exciting stuff.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. That's wonderful. Thank you, Fum. Thanks so much, Kate. What a show. Huge show. Huge show. Uh, we're just coming to the finish of it. Thank you to our, uh, our guests as well, Neil Blake, Amy Westnage and Paul Hamer. And thank you very much, Kent, for panelling for us today. Happy birthday again, Tim Thorpe, if you've only just tuned in. Congratulations, Dr. Carl Kruzanicki, who took out uh, the UNESCO uh, Prize for uh, Contribution to Science Education. So absolutely amazing. So much other stuff we haven't got to. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.